Thank you, Lord. Look with me in Matthew, the 11th chapter, please. Matthew chapter 11. If you weren't with us last night, uh, that message is available. You can go online and it won't cost you anything, no charge. Or if you're in the building, you could get a hard copy. I say that because we're building tonight off of that. And it'll, you'll get more out of tonight if you knew what went before. In uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said, verse 28, Come unto me, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy loaded, we'd say, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, which is to be distinguished from other yokes. My yoke, he said, on you. And learn of me. Jesus is not just an historical figure. And he's certainly not dead. <laughs> Everything you read about in the Word of God happened. And he has raised from the dead. And he is alive. And you can know him. Like you would know another human person. Actually you can know him even more intimately. For he, his spirit is inside you. And you can learn who he is. But you've got to keep reminding yourself to take it to the word. Because religious tradition has formulated all kinds of erroneous ideas about who Jesus is, what he is, how he is, and you'll have more traditional concept than you think you do. You won't even, you won't even realize where you got it. You, you could have picked up some things when you were four years old, some idea about Jesus that's just not true. It's just not accurate. And you do not have to have a second-hand experience. Just who somebody, even somebody you love and respect, you don't want to just know Jesus through them. You know, that's what it said, the scripture said about the uh, Samaritans and uh, the woman at the well, you know, and when she went back and gave her testimony, and, and then they heard Jesus for themselves. And they said, now we believe, not because of what you said. We have heard him for ourselves. Said out loud, if it's your heart, say, Lord, I want to know you more, more about you. Who you really are. I seek you. To learn of you. Help me to see. Any wrong ideas. I've had about you. Any misconceptions. I want to know you. This is an invitation. Learn of me. 
And then he tells us one of the biggest things he wants us to know. In such a statement, when he says, learn of me, he didn't go into a 300-point thing about who he is. And of all the things he could have emphasized, is he pure? Is he wise? Is he strong? I mean, the list goes on and on and on, but that's not what he emphasized. The key thing he wants us to get across in learning who he is, is I am meek and lowly of heart. And you'll find rest. Through what? Through knowing who I am. Why? Because seeing him and knowing him is transformational. It is transformative. As you behold him, you become like him. You're transformed. Hallelujah. Changed into the same image from glory to glory, like the scripture talks about. And you'll find rest unto your souls. It is not the will of God. For you and I to be fatigued all the time. Tired. You got to watch about talking about how busy you are. Because that can be an excuse for your perpetual fatigue. And it's, it's evidence that you're missing it some. Or I'm missing it some if it's me. What do you mean? Uh, he, he goes on to say, my yoke is what? Easy. Easy. My burden is light. To hear a lot of people talk, ministers and believers, they don't describe an easy life. <laughs> they don't describe an easy ministry and, and a light responsibilities. They, they begin to talk about how heavy the load and, and how tough and, and how hard. But that's evidence that you're doing something without grace. Which is evidence that you're doing something the Lord didn't tell you to do. As noble as it may be, as needed as it may be, even scriptural. If the Lord didn't direct you to do it, there's no grace for you to do it. And you or I would actually be in a, a degree of disobedience. And you have to be disobedient to burn out. I don't know if you heard that or not. You have to be. To get to the point where you are so fatigued, you are so stressed, that you say, I, I, I just can't do it anymore. What people call burnout. That is evidence of significant disobedience. It's obvious you didn't cast your cares over on him. Because thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And when you're stressed out of your head and upset and all the other stuff, your mind is not stayed on him. No matter what you say. That's right. 
And all of us have made some mistakes, but let's not blame the ministry or Christianity for the results of us missing it. (laughs) And that's not in my notes anywhere. (laughs) But is it true? Is it true? Because see, he said, come and learn about me. Not who people think he is. But who he really is. Who is he really? He's humble. He's lowly in heart. He is, there is no pretension in him. None. There's no haughtiness. There's no arrogance. There is no pride. There is no defiance. No rebellion. And when you get to look into his face, and you will, and it won't be long. When you look into those eyes, it'll come full realization to you how true, how genuine, how real, how kind. So kind. Brother Hagin tells about when the visitation that he had of the Lord at one point he said he he saw him and uh, he looked on his face he even had described sometimes his height his hair, color of his hair all those things but he said when he looked at him he was overwhelmed fell on his hands and I mean his, his knees and put his hands on Jesus feet and, and said Lord no one as unworthy as I should look on your face. Brother Hagin's good man. But no matter who you are. In the presence of such purity. Such holiness. You would naturally feel that way. He said the Lord said stand up. Stand up upright on your feet. He said he did. He said the Lord said. I have made you worthy. Man, from the first time I heard that years ago, it seared my heart. Did you hear that or not? He said, I have made you. We could have never gotten there. We could have never achieved worthiness to be in direct contact and direct fellowship with such purity and holiness. Must less come directly before the throne of God. We could have never gotten there. But he made us. Worthy. Somebody say, He made me me worthy. That's not something you did. That's something He did. But He has no falseness. None. The devil is the father of lying. God never had anything to do with any deception or falseness. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. 
and you start dabbling with some kind of half-truth in this, you just left the Holy Spirit. He will not participate. He will not help you in any way with any fake thing, any phony thing. He's the Spirit of truth. Absolutely, completely true. What you'll find is that humility and honesty are inseparable. One of the biggest characteristics, one of the most obvious characteristics of humility is honesty. A humble person will acknowledge the truth no matter what it is. No matter how unfavorable it paints me. Hmm? You show me a humble person, I'll show you an honest person. Every time. Inseparable. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that Jesus, who is the way and the truth, is humble. Meek, lowly of heart, and that when you come to him and you learn who he really is and you become more like him, you are relieved of the load, the load of junk, phoniness, hiding, covering. One of the biggest reasons people lie is fear and pride. But with enough humility and enough security, you tell the truth. No matter what. And so then you're not trying to prop up a lie. And you're not trying to remember all the stuff you told wrong. And that stuff will wear you out. That will load you. And if you pick up this and that over the years and you got all these fragments of junk, you are loaded and weary. And Jesus said, would you come here? Come here. Come here. Learn about me. I don't do that. He invented, let's get real. (laughs) Can you say amen? Go to Matthew 21, if you would, please. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. He is so wonderful. There's no, nobody greater he's my hero is he your hero he's everything you want to be is that right not just in this life beyond this life throughout eternity and he's on your side he is for you completely In Matthew 21, you see something that depicts this that was prophesied by Zechariah. Zechariah 9 came to pass then and recorded in this passage. Verse 1, they drew near to Jerusalem. They came to 
Bethphage and the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples. He said, go into the village over against you and straightway you'll find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Transportation. Hmm? (laughs) Jesus needed some transportation. And um, he said, if anybody says anything to you, you just say, the Lord has need of them. And straightway he'll send them. Do you know the Lord has need of some buildings, some lands, some trucks? Is that right? Some TV equipment, some computers and internet gear, TV gear Satellite stuff and internet stuff and somebody said the Lord has need of all these things. In fact, and that's what Matthew said, the Lord knows you have need of all these things. And if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. He has need of some uh, uh, boats and ships and airplanes. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And so we need to be bold to go in our in our thinking and in our claiming. The Lord has needed some stuff. Let's claim it. Let's go after it. Let's believe it. No need to debate and wrestle about it for a long time. It's, I actually asked the Lord some years ago something had come up, and it looked big to me. And I thought, well, uh, how much? You know, Lord, and, and, and when I found out the price, I thought, whoo. And I asked the Lord about the price. And, and I don't mean I heard a voice, but inside real distinctly. He said, son, I don't care how much it costs. Just get the job done. Well, when you think about it, what if somebody who's a multi-multi-billionaire and you come fussing about something that costs $800? And they told you to do it. And you said, yeah, but it costs 850 And you said, 800 <laughs> Might they say, look, I'm a multi-billionaire. I don't care. Just get it done. What does God care about $100,000? What is what's a million to him or a billion to him or a trillion to him? Just get the job done. Get it done. And I realized later. If you accomplish the will of God, you cannot waste any money on it. Because of the relative value of money compared to the will of God. Money's temporary. The will of God is eternal. If you spent a hundred times uh, what, what other folks said it should cost to get it done, if it was the will of God, it was a bargain. You can't waste money if it accomplished the will of God. Now, if it wasn't the will of God, no matter how noble it might be, and no matter how much of an amazing deal you got on it, the whole thing was wasted. Because the Lord didn't tell you to do it. But you cannot waste money accomplishing God's plan and His will. 
I know sometimes people get upset because maybe they paid some rent for a while or they paid some lease or they paid some interest or, or whatever. Listen, did you have services? Did somebody hear the gospel? Did somebody get saved even? Bargain. Bargain at ten times the price. Are you listening? What? Money? In a few more days, there won't be any U.S. dollars. They won't exist. No currency will. Nobody's going to be thinking about. In fact, I don't know of any rewards for how much money you saved. I don't know of any eternal rewards. Man, you know, we got that bargain, got that cheap car for, for the church, saved a bunch of money. Actually, uh, Brother Kenneth said one time, somebody was telling him about, you know, the money they saved by going cheap. And, then, and he said, the Lord asked him, when am I going to get all that money they're saving for me? <laughs> you know the answer to that? Never. So what's, who was it saved for? <laughs> That's because people think money is more important than it is. They think money is more valuable than it is. It's just a tool. And compared to accomplishing the kingdom of God and the plan of God, it's can't spend too much. Anyway, they got the colt. They got the donkey and the, and the donkey's colt. And uh, he said this was done that it might be fulfilled by, by the prophet, and that's uh, Zechariah. They said, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king comes to you, what? Meek. And sitting upon, this is a donkey, and the colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples did, they did that. And they brought the donkey and they put the clothes and they set him on. Great multitude spread their garments and they cried, Hosanna to the son of David. Verse 10, when he's coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved and they said, Who is this? That's what we're talking about. Who is this? And they said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. What's the significance of this? No great king ever made a triumphal entry on a little donkey coat. No. You find the biggest, toughest war horse. Is that right? The big white, you know. What's that? Lipanzano, whatever where they are. The, the kind that prance, you know. Gold trimmed chariot. That's how the king rolls. <laughs> Jesus comes in. <laughs> According to uh, John, he's riding on the colt. The donkey's colt, the little one. How many know that's a blessed donkey? Is that a bless? That's a blessed donkey. <laughs> Why? Because it tells you exactly. It, the prophecy was that he would come meek. He would come humble. 
riding on this donkey's coat. That was prophesied many, many, many years before it came to pass. And it happened just like it was prophesied. Why? Why why do that? Why is the significance of that? Go to John 2, please. Are we learning about him? Did he need a big entourage? Huh? Make a big show. Uh Oh, no. Little donkey. The kids are good. Ain't he cute? Look at that. He's on the little donkey. (laughs) No big. You know, we, we, we read the scripture last night that it was prophesied that uh, you would not hear him uh, yelling in the streets or leading strife or why? Meek, humble, lowly of heart. Some folks in recent times have gotten confused about that and have gotten loud and pushy. And gotten confused between their politics and Christianity. Being a conservative is not the same as being a Christian. And Jesus is not Republican or Democratic or Independent. Now don't misunderstand me. We have freedoms and responsibilities. We should vote. You know, and there are times we should speak up. But we should not get mean. We should not start yelling and judging. Because now you're not acting like Jesus. He never did that. And you're showing your lack of faith. You're showing your fear. You're showing your insecurities. Why would Jesus come into town on the little donkey coat? (laughs) Fulfilling prophecy. This was the way God wanted to do this. We're still talking about it all these centuries later. His triumphal entry. Into the city. Notice John 2. 23. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Because he knew. Men. He knew all men. And verse 25. Are you there? And what? Needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. The Young's literal says he had no need that any should testify concerning man. People have the idea that meekness is weakness somehow. If you don't yell and scream and push and demand and do all the stuff, they think you've got to be strong. Stand up for yourself. Do this. No, it's the opposite. People are so loud because they're scared. They're insecure. They don't know who they are. They're trying to convince themselves 
and others. And they're, they're, they're afraid. If I don't make this happen, it's never going to happen. And they can't rest and turn it over to God. And Jesus is so secure, He don't need anybody to confirm Him. He doesn't need a big parade. He don't need a fancy chariot. He don't need it. To confirm himself, he's not looking to other people to tell him who he is. He knows who he is. And that's why the invitation, he said, come and and, and learn about me. Why? It's going to do something for you that will make you so secure that you will rest. You'll, You'll lose all that junk and you'll relax and you will rest. You will find rest for your soul. And if people write an ugly letter about you, you still smile. I had a guy follow me down the hall one time, yelling at me, going, It ain't right. I don't like it. I don't like you. (laughs) I turned around and I said, You just don't know me. If you knew me, you'd like me. I think that made him more mad than all. He just, he just went off. But why do I have to let anybody's opinion that doesn't even know me shake me so that I'm upset for three days? That shows I don't know who I am. I don't know what I am and what I have. That shows I'm insecure and unstable. Jesus comes riding in. Donkey coat. He is. He is. The creator of the universe. Nothing was made except by the word. He is the savior of the world. There will never be another to replace him. He is the king of kings. The lord of lords. And he knows it. He didn't have to prove it. We're not called to prove God. No, we're not. We're not called to prove that God exists. We're not called to prove the Bible is true. We're not called to correct everybody. We're called to be a witness. And witness is a legal term. And the only real witness that qualifies is eyewitness. Huh? And an eyewitness knows something that the other folk don't know. Why? Because I was there. I was there. Down in that altar at the Baptist church when Jesus saved Keith. When I was born again. I was there. You can't tell me I wasn't there. I was there. I know how I changed, how I saw things different immediately. And the next day when I went to school, all the people I thought I didn't like, I thought, they ain't so bad. And the teacher I thought I did, love had come up in me. Come on, can you see that? I was there. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke it up, I was there. When God healed me of something I'd had for years as a boy, I was there. 
I was there. I was there. I'm a witness. And if anybody wants to hear it, I'll tell them. That's my job. If you don't believe it, well, okay. Not my job. Just to be completely secure in who I am in him and the truth of his word. And that honesty is a big part of humility. It's not what a lot of tradition, you know, there's a lot of people are so mixed up about humility, they're actually proud of how humble they think they are. They don't know what it is. <laughs> but we're learning. Somebody say, I'm learning. Somebody, I'm learning. Glory to God. Can you take some more? Go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, please. We talked last night about the greatest faith mentioned in the Bible. And what characteristics did the people have that caused that to be? There's two. That Jesus said they had great faith. The Syrophoenician, also called the Canaanite woman, you know that we talked about that Jesus said it's not right to take children's bread, throw it to the dogs. And instead of being proud and offended and all the other stuff, she just said, truth, Lord. And But the little dogs under the table get the crumbs and he said, woman, you've got some faith, girl. Great is your faith. Well, what, where do we see it? What, what is it about her? Humility and honesty. You won't get anywhere with God playing games, hiding. He, other people may not know you're playing games, but God knows. Before you start talking, he, saw, he sees your heart. He knows if you're playing, he won't even listen to you. Why take you serious? You're not even taking yourself serious. The other one, and uh, in fact, let's just go there. Go there instead of me quoting it again. Matthew 8, and we'll get to the other place perhaps. Matthew 8 was the other time that he said uh, great faith. It was the centurion. And verse 8, Matthew 8, 8, the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, give the command, and my servant shall be healed. Oh, do you hear the, the definiteness of this? Not we'll see, we hope so. You give the command, and it'll happen. That's how faith talks. Because it is persuaded of something. Not just trying to talk the right talk, but the heart's persuaded. And then he explains why. Verse 9, for I'm a man under authority. And I have soldiers under me. I say to this man, go and he goes. Another come and he comes to my servant, do this. 
And he does it. Jesus, when he heard it, he marveled. Does that appeal to anybody? That Jesus would marvel at such faith. Man, this is saying something. And obviously, you don't have to be a theologian. This is a soldier. We, We have no reason to think he's got a great knowledge of Scripture. But it's about an understanding of rank. I don't know if you heard that or not. The word submission in the scriptures literally means to rank or arrange under. To place under. To to rank or arrange under. And much of the body of Christ, whether they think think about it or not, they don't believe that there is any rank in the body of Christ. And again, people have mixed up their political ideas. And even our Constitution, our U.S. Constitution, which I believe God had a hand in, but it ain't Scripture. You should not begin to equate it with Scripture. It's a very temporary thing. I'd like to see it last for centuries and centuries more till the Lord comes. And I'm thankful for it. We enjoy freedom and prosperity. You understand I'm thankful. But don't make it Scripture. And don't let those ideas replace Scripture. Tradition replaces Scripture. With many people, that's what the Lord said. It, it makes the word of none effect. That's why it's so dangerous. People think it's the word, and it's not. But is there rank in the body of Christ? Because that's what he's talking about. He said, I, look at it again, I am a man, what? Under authority. And I have soldiers, what? Under me. me. Anybody remember the scripture? Humble yourself. Under. Huh? Under. Under the mighty hand of God that what? He may exalt you in due time. God's not opposed to your being promoted and exalted. Yeah, that's good. He's opposed to you doing it. That's right. That's right. That's right. Thank you, sir. Or me doing it. He wants to do it. His way. His time. Which is almost always later than what your flesh wants it to be. Because unbeknownst to you or me, we got some growing to do. Some developing to do. And some prideful flesh to crucify. It's one of the big things. The further I go, the more I see. The Lord is limited by what he can add to you. By your humility. And everybody likes to think, oh, it won't change me. You know, no matter how much, uh, you know, 
resources we have, no matter how much money we do, I, I, won't, I won't change. No, I well, wonder why other people do. This is what happened to the devil. Through the extensive traffic of riches, and we, we have no idea what he was over and what he was involved in, but without being tempted, he let it go to his head. And got to believing he was something he's not. Remember Romans says that we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we are. He didn't say don't think highly of yourself. Don't think more highly than what's true. Than what's real. Don't get into believing lies about yourself. And who you are and what you can do and what you can't do. Because the truth is we can do nothing. Without him. We are nothing without him. We know nothing without him. We have nothing without him. Without him. Nothing. Jesus himself. Said I can do nothing of myself. Did he say it? Well the servant's not above his master. Thank God. I'm not without him. You're not without him. But since it is only with him. That we see the victory and success and all. When things happen, we should be real clear who actually did it. Who actually brought it. Don't confuse it with you. You should be real clear. And none of this phony humility about, oh, we give God the glory. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. (laughs) Being humble is not refusing the credit you think you deserve. Yes. That's right. Come on. That's right. Being humble is realizing you don't deserve the credit. You couldn't have got out of bed in the morning. You could. Who's keeping your heart beating, boy, girl? Huh? You could do nothing without Him quickening us in every millisecond. It's his gravity that's holding you in the chair, brother. It's his oxygen keeping your brain working. That's why we should just continually be thanking God. Because it helps us stay in reality. What's really going on. And you just, just you know, conversation laws, it's always appropriate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you for strength. Thank you for something to eat and wear. Thank you for a place to sleep. Thank you. Somebody say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We couldn't have we couldn't have got that without you, Lord. Couldn't even be gone. That wouldn't have happened without you. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's not trying to be humble. He's staying in reality. (laughs) And that is true humility. Under authority. Go to Hebrews, please. I hadn't forgot about the other, but this is so big and time is fleeting. People will agree with this, that you should, you know, submit to God. 
But other scriptures tell us how it works out. Hebrews 13.7. Hebrews 13.7. Remember them that have the rule over you. Who is that? It's a mystery. Huh? Who is this? This is not God. This is them. Who's them? Those that have spoken to you the word of God. Them. People. Whose faith follow. Considering the end of their conversation. You don't just listen to what people teach. You look at their life. You see what they say they believe has produced. Especially long term. And nobody's perfect in doctrine. Because all of us just know in part. Nobody's perfectly correct about everything. Nobody. This teaching or preaching today. It's just simply because we don't know it. There's so much we don't know. But even with imperfect doctrine, you can follow somebody's genuine faith. Because the heart can be right, even if the head's not quite right. Them that have the rule over you. He mentions this two more times. In the next few verses, verse 17, it's a little, uh, little more direct. At first he said, remember them. <laughs> now he says what? Obey, obey them. Now why, why mention remember? Well, you don't know who to obey until you remember who it is. <laughs> huh? Obey who? Who? Them. It's not talking about God. It's people. Them that have the rule over you and do what? Tell me what the word submit means. To, To take a place under. Now the devil hates this. He he can he he cannot stand this. This vexes him. He's the proudest being we've ever heard or known anything about. And he he won't bow the knee for anybody. He won't submit to anybody. And that's why he is irredeemable. He can't be saved. He won't be saved. There's no redemption for him. Because he will never repent. The way you get born again. The way you get in. To the family of God. Help me out. Tell me. How? How? Romans 10. How? Believe in your heart. God raised Jesus from the dead. Tell Tell me what else. Confess Jesus. That's submission. That's not just belief. Didn't say confess him as Savior. Lord means 
When you call somebody Lord, you're giving them a place over you. You are taking a place under them. This is submission. Y'all with me, friend? You're, You're giving them a place. And that's also why the Lord said, don't call any man father or master. Now, a lot of folks ignore this. There are whole religions that build their, their rank on titles. But why? There's only one Father God. You can call somebody your daddy, your natural daddy, but this is talking about calling somebody, uh, not just calling them a spiritual father, because Paul said, you know, I begot you, but using it as a title and referring and calling them father so-and-so. Jesus forbid us to do it. Millions act like it's not even there. He also said don't call each other master. There's only one master. Right? Obey them. You talk about politically incorrect. Huh? Obey? Submit? I mean, how many millions in the country would tell us this is archaic stuff that they got delivered from a generation ago? But it's not. It is a path to beauty and security and stability and glory that most of the world will never know. Because the proud don't get the grace. They don't get the help. They get resisted. That's how serious this is. Because the pride is the nature of the devil himself. And if they don't understand it, well, they should. They could. We could. But God hates it. Not people, but pride. He hates it. You ever read in Proverbs about the things that God hates? Proud look. Lying tongue. Is that right? God hates it. He's not, you know... Indifferent about it, he hates it. And there there are more reasons than we even know. Like we said last night, from what little we do know, God's creation has repeatedly rebelled against him. We don't even know how long. We know it happened with the angels. We know it happened with Satan, Lucifer. We know it happened with mankind. We don't have a clue what happened before all that. But it's something that you just don't want to get into with God. It's happened too many times. He hates it. This arrogance. This haughtiness. This stiff neck. That you can't tell me what to do. It is so stupid. You wouldn't even exist without him. And you're going to get in his face. It's so stupid. But that's what darkness does. 
But you don't have to live in that darkness. You can be enlightened and not see it as demeaning to you to submit yourself to God and His. You can do it gladly, willingly. Huh? I got no problem falling on my knees. Hallelujah. Before my God, I got no problem. No problem saying, God, God Almighty, Creator of the heavens and the earth, I submit myself to you. I'm glad to humble myself under your mighty hand. I wouldn't even exist without you. I need you every millisecond. I'm dependent on you for my continued existence. It's not a hardship. It's not embarrassing to me. It's not demeaning to me. And when that's true, it carries over to his people as well. Obey them that what? Who has the rule over you? There should be names of people, men and women, that you could name. Elders in your life. God is used to speak the word of God into you, enlighten you and lead you and help you. You shouldn't have to think two, three days to try to find who they are. Now, you're laughing, but this is the state of the church. And it's also why there's this gross instability. There's all this insecurity. God is not the author of confusion. He's not involved in any chaos. And when you see chaos and confusion, that's folks not listening to God. God has a structure of authority. And there is rank in the body of Christ. You believe it or not? Go to 1 Corinthians. Let me give you another scripture. Well, I didn't take verse 24 was a third one there in Hebrews 13. He said, salute them that have the rule over you. How many know you need to know who to salute? Not just go around saluting everybody. <laughs> First Corinthians. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Um, Twelve. Eighteen. Now God has what? Set. The members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. Set. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has what? Set some in the church first. Apostles. Secondarily. Prophets. Thirdly, teachers, why, why use that description first, second, third? Talking about set. 
You know, Peter, when they had the great church conference, and there was this big question about, well, do we teach the Gentiles to keep the law or not? Peter stood up. And this is how he started. He said, you all know that a while ago, God made choice that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of God. And so then he went on to describe the wisdom of God and the course he believed they should take. And the fact that he's saying that he had a right to stand up and say something about it is because God chose him to take that word to them first. The big problem with leaders is that they're like you. They're human. They don't know everything. They can make mistakes. They can mess up. And, listen carefully now, you don't have to respect everything a person in authority says or does. They could be wrong. But you must respect the place or you wind up disrespecting God who chose them and called them and gave them the place. I, I think oftentimes about Brother Kenneth Hagin and Phyllis in my life. And I think about God chose him to appear to. He had visions where he saw the head of the church and heard revelation I've never heard anywhere else. And was commissioned, go, teach my people faith. That's the, that's the assignment of an apostle, a sent one. He was an apostle and a prophet and a teacher. Pastored for a while, though that was not really his call. But just the fact that God chose him as well, I, I want that to happen to me. It don't come by wanting. And no amount of prayer and fasting can, can cause it to happen to you. Do you remember him talking about some of those visions? He said when it happened, I was no more expecting that to happen than to be the next man right on the moon or Mars or whatever it was. What, 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 why is he saying that? He wants you to know he didn't initiate it. It didn't come because he was believing for it or because of his faith or his extensive prayer and fasting. No, these are things God does. And when he makes choice among us and uses somebody to found a church, to bring the gospel to us for the first time, to bring truths to us we've not heard before, it's not about making a big deal out of the man or the woman. We should make a big deal out of God's choice. Is that right? And we're going to respect that even if the person gets goofy later. What do you mean? Do you remember David when he's running from Saul and they find Saul in the cave and he's exposed and David's men say... God has given him into your hand. Take him out and we can go home. And he said, no. One of the other guys said, I'll do it. One stroke. I, it'll be over quick. Just, just turn around. Look the other way. David said, no. No. No, his time will come. 
But my hand won't be against him. The Lord's anointed. Say what? He's got an evil spirit. He's a murderous. He, he flies into murderous rages. And he calls him the Lord's. Yeah, why? Because God chose him. And God anointed him. And that should mean something to us forever. Is that right? And we should always defer to the higher or greater place or anointing. Is this okay or not? People say, well, well, God loves us all the same and, and we're all equal in his eyes. Where's that verse? See, you're mixing stuff up. Where is the verse that says that? The Lord brought this illustration to me years ago about this. Difference between family and army. Let's say there's a family. And the dad and the sons and daughter all in the military. Dad's career, and now he's a general as an older man. Older boy is a captain, let's say. Middle daughter's a sergeant. Youngest boy's a private. Well, at home on Thanksgiving, it's daddy. The sergeant doesn't get more turkey <laughs> than the uh, private. Right? And don't get more one-on-one time with dad or our mom. This is family. Love the same. Have the same access to the family's resources. Right? All of that. But if it's wartime, we're on the field, we're in battle. And the sergeant gives you an order. You don't go, oh, Bubba. Why do we want to do that? That's insubordination, even if it is your brother. Is everybody awake? Mm -mm. And it ain't Papa. It's yes, sir, general, if you happen to get in front of him. Now, come Thanksgiving, okay, we'll sit around the table and laugh, and right? Are we in a warfare? Have we been called to endure hardness as a good soldier? If Jesus called the captain of our salvation, there's rank in the body of Christ. And the enemy is continually trying to infiltrate the church with all this defiance and rebellion and sloppiness. And so it it takes away the unity and people just think... They can go to church and start and change anytime they want to, just like marriage partners and jobs, anything else, like there's no plan for their life, won't even inquire of the Lord, won't endure any hardness and stay put if he tells you to stay put. We should submit to the Lordship of Jesus and those he places over us and submit ourselves under them. One big thought, and then I think we can close for tonight. Go to James, the fourth chapter. Y'all believing with me on these things? 
We need to be know how to change hats. You know what I mean by that? Sitting around, having fun, whatever. But then, you're in the service, the Spirit of God starts moving. Huh? Are y'all listening? Respect. Should be a lot of respect. Respect the greater anointing. Respect the greater place. Hebrews said, talks about that the, the less is blessed of the better. But the King James, you know, that kind of, with our vernacular, language is always changing. But that, that same word translated less, the same King James Bible is translated under. The under is blessed by the over. In the family, doesn't mean they're better or greater or even smarter. But if there's a call, if there's a place, which is why you shouldn't let just anybody lay hands on you. Who are they? Who are they to you? Why would they be over you? To bless you. Because the under is blessed. He, he said it like this. Beyond any question or dispute. The under is blessed by the over. The greater. There's some things that have been lost. We're reaping some of the fruit from the rebellion of the 60s. 70s. And we're in this defiant, rebellious, ungodly world governed by the spirit of disobedience. But we're not of this world. We're different. Somebody say, we're different. We're different in Jesus' name. And we understand the honor of God. The honor of God. The glory of God. And we can be secure enough. We got no problem deferring and even yielding. And submitting, because it's not just about people, it's to God. We do it because He told us to do it. Now, one of the big things to know about submission, and this will keep you completely out of error. Some years ago, there was a move about submission and discipleship, and some people kind of got bogged up and mixed up. And that's exactly what the enemy wanted. Because he wanted everybody else to go as far away from it as they could. And it worked. Somebody say, not on me. Not on me. Not on me. We're going to rightly divide the Word of God. Let me, uh, let me tell you a couple of things that submission is not. And knowing that and getting that settled, keep you safe. Did you find James 4? Verse 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So because of that, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is completely about rank. First Peter, that uses some of the same language, First Peter 5, actually talks about submission more between younger and elders and under the mighty hand of God the other scripture talks about. This is giving God his place over you, taking your place under him. 
then and only then you're in a position to demand the devil takes his place under you. Because he's been defeated and put under the feet of Jesus and you or I are in the body. So if it's under the feet of Jesus, it's under us. But the devil knows that if he can talk you into defiance and rebellion and you're yielding to him, he don't have to yield to you. Because you're yielding to him. He knows it. Which is why you don't start with resisting the devil. You start with what? Submit yourself to God. Because elsewhere, the other's not going to work. Without giving him his place over you, taking your place under him. But this this phrase, said out loud, submit yourself. This phrase appears about some seven times or so in the New Testament exactly this way. And the understood subject is you. Every time. Let me, let me read them to you. Here, James 4, submit yourself. You submit yourself. Hebrews 13, we just read, submit yourselves to those that have the rule over you. 1 Peter 5, 5, you younger, submit yourselves to the elders. Submit yourself, 1 Peter, to every ordinance of man. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. 1 Peter 5, uh, Ephesians, submit yourselves to one another. Every time it says it that way. Submission, godly submission is not subjugation. And it is not something that anybody else does to you. It's something you do or is not done. You know, sometimes we've had marriage meetings. We talk about this some because the Bible said, you know, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands. And husbands, love your wives. And a lot of churches won't even read that anymore. I mean, wife... And submit in the same sentence? Are you not yet enlightened? But what you got to understand is it's like this. The language is wives, husbands are not talking to you. Hmm? Wives, you submit yourself to your own husband. Husbands, wives, I'm not talking to you. Love your wife, even as Christ loved the church. And see, the enemy immediately jumps on it and got husbands telling the wife, you got to submit to me. That's completely wrong. Husbands, you never, ever tell your wife to submit to you. Y'all listening or not? God was not talking to you. He was not talking to you at all. It's not your response. What if my wife won't submit? Well, then she won't. What if she never does? Then she never will. What am I going to do then? Love God and be happy. But she will miss out 
and so with you. It'll cost you a lot. You're still saved. God still loves you. But you'll have a lot of problems. And they won't get fixed. Because you ignore God. Same thing is true with elders. The Bible tells the younger to submit to the elders. And to submit to those that have the rule over you. But pastors, you never tell your people, submit to me. Never. Somebody say never. 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 Not your job. Why? Because what was the command? You submit yourself. Submission is not something somebody does to you. It's not subjugation. It's something you willingly, freely do to somebody else. You give them or you acknowledge their place over you and you take a place under them. Not something they did. Not something they even asked for. You did it because God told you to do it. And your trust is in Him. That even if they don't get it right, God's still going to take care of you. And the big reason why people don't submit is lack of faith. Lack of trust. It takes faith to submit to God. And it takes faith to obey Him and submit to somebody He tells you to submit to. But it's not anybody making you do anything. This is one of the, is everybody awake? This is one of the biggest issues the devil does not want people to see. Phyllis and I uh, enjoyed close fellowship with the Hagans. Brother Hagan Sr. and Miss Aretha, they allowed us to be around them and even travel with them and what have you. And one of the key elements of that, especially towards the end, was submission. And we got things we didn't even know we were getting. So precious. But after we had worked there at the school for 15 years, and we felt strongly that we were supposed to develop our ministry, that God had directed us to do some other things, and you see that he, he has... I went to Brother Hagen, talked to him about it. His response was, well, you ain't getting any younger. If you're going to do something, you better get to it. <laughs> he, was, he actually was very gracious. He was very kind. And uh, uh, we actually, we talked to him at that meeting. And um, told him we wanted to talk to him about it when it came time to go. And he was... Personally, I, I think he would have liked to stay a little bit longer, but he said, uh, we don't want to stand in God's way. And if he had asked us to stay, I probably would have. And looking back now, some things needed to happen those next two years. And he was spiritual enough to, and gracious enough. But the last part of our fellowship with them, and other, I'm not saying we're the only ones, numbers of people were blessed by fellowship with them but when we left 
I thought like most people did, you know, we were we were gone, we we're going to pursue what God's called us to do. And I was up somewhere having a meeting in the floor praying, seeking the Lord, and the Lord said to me, He said, I never released you from helping Brother Hagin. I thought, what? We had help for 15 years, you know. But you know, the Bible says what God does, it's forever. I expect past this life, will the connections God made here will continue. Some of us that work together down here will still be working together over there. Because what God does is forever. So, we better get used to each other. Because eternity is a long, long time. And I, I, I told Phyllis, I said, the Lord told me he didn't uh, release me from, and that course, well, both of us, you know, didn't release us from helping Brother Hagin. When I when we first got to the school, I didn't, you know, they didn't know who I was, and why would they? And, and the Lord gave me three words, help Brother Hagin. That was my ministry directive for the next 20 years. He didn't know me for the first several of them. Didn't need to. Something had come up and say that we need to set up for the prayer school. We need to set up for the healing school. I heard Brother Hagen needs help. So I volunteered. And I volunteered for this. Volunteered. And then one thing led to another. and More and more involved. And, and so we thought, what are we going to do? Well, we got, we, we got on a plane and we found where they were and asked them, could we talk to them? And, and said, you know, we know you got wonderful help. You got help all around you, but can we help? What are we doing? Help me out. We're making ourselves available. If they don't use us, they don't, but that's not our job. Submitting ourselves, we're available. Now, we had stuff going on, but God said this was a priority. Can, can we help you? Can we help you? And they thought about it and prayed about it a little bit, and they got back with us, and they said, well, yeah, you know, you can do this. You can do that. And So we tagged along everywhere for the next five years, and amazing deposits, amazing revelation, amazing things. Why am I saying that? Not to, not to focus on us, but people sometimes have the idea, well, if you think I ought to do something, come find me and tell me. That's not you submitting. And what, what I'm, I'm believing to get to is God has amazing transfers and anointing increases and, and adding of gifts. And what he's been showing me is that it doesn't come just by association. And Phyllis and I have talked about that. We've seen people in situations where they've been around amazing ministry for years and years and years. And then they open their mouth and say some of the dumbest things. You're like, where you been going to church? <laughs> what? what is going on? How did you not get this? And it's because you don't get it. Just by osmosis. Just by being around. You have to submit. You have to submit to receive. Submission is a receiver. 
Pride is a taker. It's devilish. Said out loud, you, you submit, submit yourself. yourself. Not somebody making you do anything or even asking you to. Something you initiate according to what God has shown you, who's over you, who you've received from, you initiate. Well, what if they don't use me or call on me? That's not your job. That's not your problem. You just make yourself available. And it's not about, you, you know, you can't, you know, rub shoulders with people all, all the time and millions of people can't. It's not about that. You don't want to get to know people's flesh anyway. That's, that's not what you want. It's the anointing. I said it's the anointing. And the anointing's the strongest in services and the flow. So you want to be at the services of the people that you're supposed to be under. And you want to make that a priority in your year, in your schedule, whoever that is, whatever that is. And oh, what a source of supply. What a, what a continual refilling and infilling and enlightening of eyes and heart and understanding. And here's something else. Leaders, leaders, are you listening? You won't reap Submission and obedience and faithfulness if you don't sow it. Why won't my people do this? Who do you do it to? Who do you do it for? Who are you faithful to? Who do you submit to? When you sow it, you will reap it. People will show you respect. They will submit to you. They will hook and be faithful. And listen and do. Stand on your feet, everybody.